You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 248 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm, I'm actually, I've got one foot out the door. I'm on my way what? to Brisbane as we speak. Oh yes, that's right. We're recording a little bit earlier so that you can get on your plane to Brisbane. That's correct. Very, very cool. It's going to be great. It's going to be warmer. You won't have to wear your fingerless gloves. <laughs> like, I will still need my authorial blazer, though, so I've had to work out which which of my authorial blazers is lightweight enough to take with me. What constitutes a an authorial blazer? I know it's funny, isn't it? It's, that's just, this is what um what Book Boy calls them. He calls them my authorial blazers. <laughs> um, I know he's like, "Are you wearing the authorial blazer today, Mum?" Um, they well, they're basically like the they, they're just the, well, they're just what I wear when I'm not sitting at home in my tracksuit pants, really. Like it's it's, it's what is what normal people wear out into the world. But, but it's um, no, but I you do don't like, wear them to get a coffee. No, no, you have to wear them. I have, but it's nice to wear a jacket. I just find a jacket makes me feel like yes, I'm authorial. you know in the business. Yeah, like yes, it's like ALT goes on with the authorial blazer. Um, so yes. I have a few different options of different weights and different colours and um, I'm just, uh, you know, you have to, but, you know, it's not easy in Queensland to you know, oh, wear yes, the authorial blazer with any sort of blazer. authority because it's hot. Mm, <laughs> yes. Wow. Do you get them from the same shop? Like are you the sort of person who goes, oh, that works, I'll buy one in every colour? Well, it's interesting you say that because not generally, but I have this yeah. very pale blue one that is a very lightweight kind of linen-y fabric. And mm. I got it thinking, you know, that it might work well. And it's actually really, really good because it's something that I can wear over the top of other, like, it's just great. You know, it's like wearing just like a light long sleeve shirt, but it's a jacket. So I'm actually yeah. going to buy that one in a couple of different colors because I think that it will be, and you know what it's like, you kind of find this thing you love and then you think, yeah. oh, I should definitely have got more of those. You remember? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think we've yeah, talked about this before. Definitely. So I've decided to get it in a couple of different colors because just in case they suddenly decide to discontinue it or but something like that. But is it still available? Don't it is still available at this stage. Yeah. It's one of those, it's a wardrobe staple kind of thing. So oh, it is. They disappear before you before you know. I know, I know. So there's a there's a handy tip for anyone who's got a book coming out or whatever. Get yourself an authorial blazer. Mind you, we did talk about this with Tim Harris a couple of um, episodes ago. I remember him saying that you know, like that different authors have different ways of branding themselves. And he was talking about someone who always wore red and he wears his cap and you know various things. So you know, your version of the authorial blazer may in fact be something else. There are lots of authors out there who like. um, female authors who like a a wrap, a a printed wrap dress. There is a lot of printed wrap dresses out there on the circuit. And I remember seeing a – yeah, it's hilarious. I remember seeing a photo (laughs) – I remember seeing a photo last year from Somerset. It was this year. 
was it this year? Yeah, from Somerset Children's um, Festival. And there was a group of of my friends who are um, who are all children's authors, and they had done this hilarious photo of them all standing in a row in their wrap dresses, talking about how the authorial wrap. They didn't call it the authorial wrap dress, but <laughs> I did. You know how obviously authors wear printed wrap dresses. It was really funny because every single That's one of them bizarre. had a printed wrap dress on. Yeah. And, and they were gorgeous. They looked gorgeous. Okay. Well, they're, they're, well, they're fabulous though. Like I do understand if you like a frock, I do understand it because, you know, mm. you pop the one dress on and it's and it's it's businesslike, it's neat and it looks gorgeous. So I do get it. I'm just not really a fan of a frock so I don't wear them that often. Right. Yes. Mm. Mm. And would you I do have, have any – I, mean, I didn't actually think we would go down this um, path. No, here's but a, I, I, am, I know. I am curious. I'm sorry. Would, this is not actually so you want to be a fashion, you know, yeah, writer well, or anything. <laughs> no, but it is useful to know what to wear when you speak at author events. Do yes. you have any tips on like what to avoid? Like should are there some things you shouldn't wear? Well, I imagine I, look, there must be. I just think it depends on, I mean, obviously it depends a great deal on your audience, but I go to schools a lot. I talk to big groups of kids a lot, big groups of boys a lot. And I think that is one reason I do not wear dresses because um, I often will see, like often, because I like quite a conversational style of author talk. So often, particularly depending on the size of the group, obviously, but if the group is smaller, I will sit and just talk to them like it's a, you know, like we're having a a bit of a a story session or something and you don't want to be sitting in a dress. Like I just, that's, you know, and obviously you want to avoid low cut. You want to like, this is obviously from the, from, for for the, you know, women who write um, end of town, obviously, because that's who I am. Um, I will often wear jeans. I will often wear, I, I, like I, I was a speaker in sneakers for a long time and I still am often, like Mm. if I'm going to a, to a high school, Yep. With kids, I'm often in my Converse or in my Vans or something like that yeah. um, because you want to be comfortable too. And the other thing is like as we've discussed before, I'm often on public transport getting places oh, and yeah. so I am a comfortable – I'm sorry, but I am a woman in comfortable shoes and, and I'm going to be very happy with that. Um, so, yeah, so you want to be comfortable. You want to be able to move around. You don't want to feel like you're too uptight. But having said that, again, it depends on your audience. Like let's have a look at – um, the gorgeous Natasha Lester, who always looks like she just stepped off the pages of a magazine cover yes. because she has that look. But her audience, um, you know, she writes those wonderful historical fiction novels. It's, it's a diff- it's a different audience to what I am, where I am, to who I'm talking to. Um, she There's a certain expectation of a glamorous author, I think, in some of those areas of publishing, and she most, ass- most assuredly is that, as is um, Tara Moss. You know, there's a certain... It, yeah. it just depends on your persona, I think, and That's who you're true. speaking to, you know. And I think that I think Natasha Lester is obviously doing something right because she has just been named in what is it the um, Oh Bookbub put out a list of um, uh, you know historical fiction, the most anticipated historical fiction books of for fall in the US. Yes, and she was on there, you know, with oh, Kate Atkinson and Kate Morton, and yes, for the Paris seamstress. So it's very exciting. Like, and she, yeah. So there's a certain idea of knowing who your audience is, and you need to dress. You need to dress for them. Like it's it's yeah. not just all about you. Well, you need it's to about dress- dressing for your audience. Yeah, you need to dress. Yeah, exactly. You need to know who you're pitching to. And that's one of the things that she does really well because she has that course at the Australian Writers' Centre, How to Pitch to Agents and Publishers. Yes, And she lays out the entire blueprint on exactly what you need to do to pitch your story ID to agents and publishers. So, yeah, we'll put the link for that in the show notes if people are interested. But let's move on and give a shout-out to Helen H. 
Helen H. Jin. Can't believe I just said H. <laughs> Helen H. Jin. From <laughs> oh my god, I had are a you, moment. Are you not happy with your H? You no, like an H, do you? H. Helen H. Jin, who left a review on iTunes specifically about the Pamela Hart interview, which was in episode two hundred and forty-two. And Helen H. Jin said, thank you. This podcast was so helpful and inspiring. Very generous as always. I've taken a couple of Pamela's courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and she's just as precise, helpful and thoughtful with her feedback as she was in this interview about her own writing. A great interview. Oh, wow. Cool. Go you, Valerie. Yes. Thank you, Helen. A great interview. There. Well, there you go. All right. Well, if you have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, and thank you so much, Helen, for providing us that feedback. Uh, yeah, do please do. It'll only take you um, not very long, and it really does help us in the rankings. So that would be awesome. Mm. Let's move on then to the world of writing and publishing this week, shall we, Al? What a good idea. <laughs> Isn't that what we're here for? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Well, I think you have a really cool link for us called How to Not Irritate Your Local Bookshop, A Guide I for Authors. I do. Now, I have to give a little shout out here to our Facebook community, the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast Facebook community, because every Wednesday we have the Wednesday writing post Um which allows people to link to their latest post, uh, blog post or whatever, which is about writing. And I, honestly, I, I, as the person who um, manages the Facebook page for the Australian Writers' Centre and also the Twitter account, I absolutely love it because it gives me um, such great things to actually share. So that's a little tip for you if you're writing, you know, if you're, if you're a blogger, get yourself into that group and get onto that because it puts it right in front of me and then I get to share it out with all of our fabulous people. And this week has thrown up a couple of fabulous ones. There was the very, very first blogged uh, post ever from Nikki Lee, who's a writer, and she shared a post about the best fiction writing tips that she had received so far, which was a cracker. Um, but the one that I really want to highlight this week is from the is from Leah Weston, who is very active yeah. in our group and very active all over the place. And hi, Leah, yeah. very nice to um, nice to hear from you. And she wrote a post called "How to Not Irritate Your Local Bookshop: A Guide for Authors." Now, this is at Leah Weston, which is L I A Weston W E S T O N dot com dot a you how to not irritate your Hmm. local bookshop a guide for authors and it just made me laugh so much because um it's all about sort of like what not to do in your local bookshop Mm -hmm. now one of the things she talks about is the importance of getting the timing right so if you have a book coming out and particularly if it's your first book you want to basically you've got you you know your publisher is going to encourage you to go to your local bookshops and introduce yourself which I have to tell you, um, as an author, is just not. It's it's a little bit, you know, challenging sometimes. Mm. And um, you sort of like go in and you're like, "Hi, I'm an author," and and they go, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." You and everyone else. Um, and mm. so you kind of got to have something that makes you stand out. And she, and Leah suggests that there are two things that can make it easier for you: have something physical to hand out. So have a little flyer or something, uh, a business card, something. Because if your book is not out yet, like if it's if this is in the lead up to your first book coming out, you know they want to have something that 
they'll get to see. And the other thing she suggests is making a time to meet with the appropriate person because the person mm. at the counter may not actually be the person that you want to talk to. Um, you really got to speak yes. to the manager, the buyer, somebody who, um, who, who has the ability to kind of do something more than say, hi, how are you going? Okay. So make sure that you um, make an appointment to talk to the right person, which is, is easily done and actually is a lot easier for you because it doesn't feel like so much of a cold call. You ring yeah. up, you make an appointment, you go in, they're expecting you. They've at least got some idea of who you are, which is better. Um, I went to a bookshop in Canberra and I had actually organized to go in there. So this was, this was quite an interesting moment for me. Mm. And this is after I had four books, four books on the shelves. Yeah, I had four yeah. books out. And I made an appointment to go in because um, I was, you know, going to be down there uh, with the boys and they invited me to come in and sign some books and do all those things. And I'd organised the whole thing. And when I went in there, um, the person that I had made the appointment with was not in that day, had failed to make a note in the diary. The two people uh. behind the counter had no idea who I was, no mm. idea what my books were, no idea. It was the most, honestly, I can tell you that if you are looking for gratuitous humiliation, mm. this is a good way to go about it. Um, so I was just, it was awful. It was so awful. Mm. Um, and anyway, whatever. Like I signed a few books and I left and, and you know, it still makes me feel really unhappy thinking about it. But anyway, that this is what happens. So all I'm saying is, even despite the best laid plans, things can go awry, but still making an appointment is the best way to go about it, all right? So don't yeah. – don't, and, and, and also if it doesn't go the way that you're thinking it's going to go, you stand there and you smile and you sign some books anyway and then you leave and then you, you know, kick the wall and swear at <laughs> whoever's closest to you. But that's, yes. that's a whole nother story. Anyway, now Leah's next tip is please do not rearrange the shelves. Now, this That's is hilarious. hilarious. Oh, this my is God. really funny. And also suggesting that you tell your well-meaning family and friends as well. Oh. <laughs> they, um, according to booksellers that Leah has talked to, this really annoys the staff and they will remember you and not in a good way. Um, now, oh I don't no. think – I personally don't think that this holds – for places like Big W and, you know, some of those yeah. bigger places, I think, you know, and also I also don't think it holds for the fact that if you, if your friends or family are just taking a shelfie, then they should feel free to rearrange the shelves at that point. I mean, I'm not suggesting that you move the T's up into the A position, but if they need to turn your book face out to take a shelfie, you should encourage that. Um, but, you know, merchant re-merchandising the shelving is, is generally frowned upon. Now, wow, that's this is really, my I'm, – I'm, I'm really like – this is really interesting because I do this for all my friends' books. Mm. <laughs> it don't, look, it's one of those things. I think in smaller bookshops it's really – noticeable I think in larger bookshops you might get away with it a little bit more um well you know (laughs) I'm just giving you Leah's advice right yeah right now Mm. the other one and this is the one that I thought was my absolute favorite thing so the advice is that events are good if you want to hold a shindig to promote your latest novel then fantastic do it in the bookshop because they it will also bring the bookshop potential new customers however Oh, and be organized and enthusiastic is the other tip. However, make sure that your local bookshop has okayed your event before you start inviting people. And this is a true story. She says in this post that her bookseller friend received an email advertising a book function in her shop that she didn't actually 
know about. No. <laughs> so that's not a good idea. You want to basically, you know, make sure that the bookshop is aware of the function before you just roll in with 20 of your friends and a bottle of wine. I know, hilarious. I just thought that was brilliant. Like, who does that? (laughs) Yes. And I think it's interesting that Leah also says, um, uh, you know, you want a bunch of book-loving friends who like a drink. And then she says, I always buy more stuff when I've had a nip or two. On that note, why aren't there more bookshops slash bars? That would be cool, huh? Well, it would be cool. I I think we didn't we – I remember years ago we had a conversation on a podcast. Someone had opened a bookshop slash bar which we thought was a genius idea. I don't know if it's still around, though. I wonder where that was. I don't know well, where that was. my local bookshop cafe is uh, turning into a bookshop slash bar. So, mm. yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. Mm. Like, yeah, but the thing is you're not allowed to actually read the books while you drink. Mm. So you mm. have to buy it first, which is fair enough. It's not a library. No, that's right. It's yeah. not a library. All right, I'll let you know when it opens. Maybe we can okay. have a bit together. All oh, right, so let's move Let's have on. an event there and not tell them. It can just be the <laughs> yeah, two of us. that's right. Let's not tell them. <laughs> yes. We have another link uh, this week and it's called One Simple Tip to Help You Get More Writing Done. What do you like yes. about this one, Al? Well, there's a lot I like about it. It's on the bangtowrite.com website and that's B-A-N-G with it letter 2 W-R-I-T-E dot com. And it's basically like this is this is a, a very lengthy post about something that you and I have been banging on for years, which is why I like it because, I, you know, reinforcement of your own thoughts is always a good idea, right? Um, and it's basically the one simple tip is to kill the dead time in your life. And the post is written by an author called Lucy V. Hay and – she basically, like, what's dead time? Let's talk about that. And you and I have talked about this stuff a lot. Mm. Um, this is when you're waiting for other people, when you're sitting yes. around at appointments, when at the, the kids the kids are at sport, the sport. kids are coming out of school and you're sitting in the car park, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, you know, lunch breaks that maybe you could utilise. It's when you're on a train or in a, in a you know, um, in a plane, that kind of stuff. It's yeah. when you're watching TV, that is really like, I mean, I find myself sitting there sometimes um, at the moment, particularly because I'm not writing an awful lot because I'm so busy with um, promotion stuff at the moment and talks. Very hard to write when your head is full of that stuff. It's exhausting. Mm. Um, But so I'm sitting there zoning out in front of TV that I'm just not even that interested in, but it's on and it's Mm. in front of me and, you know, whatever. And I think to myself, you know, this, I should be writing something. Because yes. under normal circumstances, that's what I would be doing. Um, so, you know, that sort of thing uh, is – that's what she's talking about with dead time. And if you can kill that dead time, if you can start to, you know, write in those little cracks and the, just the little cracks of time in your day, you will be amazed at how your words accumulate. Like it's mm. incredible. And we've talked before about how 10 minutes of writing can make a big difference and how 30 minutes – um, where you aim to write 500 words is is an incredible kind of boost to your to to your tally. Now people say to me like you know it's not just about words on a page you know because it's not just about the the word count but it, it when it comes to a first draft it actually is because it's one of those situations where so many people get 10,000 words or whatever three chapters into a into a, mm. a manuscript and then they stop because it's hard. 
You know, yes. and it is hard. You get to that point where it's difficult. But what I find is that if you just keep like even if you can get a paragraph down, you will be amazed at how that builds and builds and suddenly you've got 40,000 words and that's encouraging because yes. that's something that you can work with. Word counts are important because if you don't have the words on the page, you cannot you can't fix them. You can't I know people better. tease us sometimes about our obsession with word counts but they yeah. are so important. Yeah. They are. They are because you know you can sit there and you can think about writing the perfect word for a week. You can do that mm. and and you know if that's the way you write more power to you but it's going to take you an incredibly 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 long time to actually get a manuscript finished and if you don't have a finished manuscript you cannot be published in yes. any way shape or form. So and you, it is important to focus on getting those words down. It is. For sure. And my big tip on that is to make yourself mobile because you can't write while you're mm-hmm. watching, waiting at sport if you don't mm-hmm. actually have something to write with. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you might write on with pen and paper, which is fine, but if mm-hmm. you've got a, some kind of device like an iPad or even your phone with a keyboard or or you could be like Tristan Banks who actually uses his thumbs on his phone and writes 2,000 words in a morning, but most of us probably can't do that. Um, uh, I, I find I have found that the thing that's made me more productive is my iPad with a keyboard and mm-hmm. I literally can just – I take it everywhere. I can whip mm-hmm. it out when mm-hmm. I am waiting for Char Girl Charlie to make my chips on a Tuesday night <laughs> and, right. and write and get stuff done, you know. Yeah, like you, yeah. yeah it is important. Well, you know, the author of this post talks about the fact that she wrote her very first script back in the day, I don't exactly know when the day was, one-handed on the backs of envelopes while she was breastfeeding her son. And, I mean, anyone who's ever breastfed a kid, oh, my Lord, will know that it is dead time. It is just – so if you can find a way to type one-handed on your iPad while you're doing that, then, you know, like it's amazing how much you'll get done. And this this post also recommends a book called – the coffee break screenwriter and they say because the the title how to write your masterpiece while sitting on the loo was probably already taken yeah let's not All even right. think about that and move on instead to right. a post that's actually on the Australian Writers Centre blog this week we want to give a big shout out to Graham Frizzle or it could be Frizzell, um, and I just think this is a great post because it's a he has done several courses at the Australian Writers Centre, including um, particularly freelance writing stage one. I love this story because <laughs> Graham's into beer. Now, do you like beer, Al? I think you're love a beer it. kind of gal. I do. Right? I do more like so beer. than I wine. Um, yeah, more so now than yeah. Like yeah, generally speaking, I know where I am with a beer, so I, I, you know, I think beer's good from that perspective. You know where you are with a beer? Yeah, in the sense of you know how much you've had to drink with a beer. Do you know what I mean? Can't you count the glasses of wine? No, no, yeah, no, but wine adds up really quickly, I find. And I also just Mm. think that it's, um, it, I, I get worse. I like, like, I'm, I'm just at that point now with hangovers are not worth it. I do love a, like, I really not love a nice glass of wine, but I am a one glass of wine, you know, at, I'm not someone who goes home and opens a bottle of wine. Mm. It's not how I roll. I would rather go home and have one beer or two. Right. Okay. 
Well, Graham likes beer uh, and he's a bit of a connoisseur of beer. So since completing, I love that you can be a niche writer because since completing freelance writing stage one at the Australian Writers' Centre, he's been published many, many times in The Crafty Pint, but also in a handful of indie beer fanzines in Froth magazine. I love that. (laughs) There's a magazine called Froth and um, Broadsheet in Melbourne and uh, after doing, after sort of getting some runs on the board, he then did uh, a couple of copywriting courses at the Australian Writers' Centre, Copywriting Essentials and How to Build a Successful copy, successful Freelance Copywriting Business. And he ended up with gigs like writing, copywriting gigs at uh, brewing uh, several brewing companies. So Fantastic. This, I just love how you can, you know, be so niche to write about Well, do you know um, what I have to say? I think Graham's actually really clever because he came to freelance writing. I can't remember if he was actually in one of my courses or not, but he's definitely been in the groups. And um, he came to writing about beer at exactly the right time because I remember him sort of coming into the group or – as I said, I can't remember if he was one of my students or not, but um, there were – as an online student. But um, there were – he has ridden a wave of interest in craft beer, like the craft beer yes. movement in the last, you know, three or four years in Australia and worldwide. I was just in Canada recently, as we all know. Should we talk about mm. beers again? No, let's mm. talk about beers because mm-hmm. there's a huge craft beer scene in Canada. We had we had some lovely times just visiting various breweries and things like that. And the whole brewery scene is great. Do you know what I mean? Like it's got that real yeah. – I think it all comes out of that whole lumber lumber. Yes thing that's been going on um so yeah like he has definitely came into that at with with interest knowledge and passion at Mm. just the right time and has really ridden a wave of that which is brilliant and I'm so incredibly pleased for him he's done really really well yes and all of that also when Graham is um has profound vision impairment he is legally blind and he uh has managed to do these courses as well as several other courses at at TAFE and has just it's just kicking it. So if you're yeah. interested in reading about Graham's story, uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. It's also on the Australian Writers Centre blog. All right, cool. Now, what have we got next? We I have. I don't know, Val. You tell me. Our competition. Woo-hoo. Now, I'm very excited because I am. I've just bought tickets to Gold Class because you know sometimes you have to treat yourself. Out. Mm, and, oh, you do. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm treating myself to gold class. I hardly ever actually go to the movies, uh, but um, when I do, um, it's got to be worth it. And this particular <laughs> movie I'm really looking forward to because we interviewed the author back in episode 78 of the podcast. 78? Yes. That's the way Dark Ages. In- Way back in the dark ages, we interviewed Kevin Kwan because he wrote Crazy Rich Asians. I think we interviewed him after he uh, wrote the sequel, China Rich Girlfriend. And, of course, the third in the trilogy is Rich People Problems. And these books have taken the world by storm. And, you know, of course, it must be because he got interviewed by us, Al. He ended up with a um, Hollywood movie deal and – Everywhere in the media at the moment, you're seeing stories about this movie because it's just opening. It's just opening now. Um, Crazy Rich Asians has been made into a major motion picture. It is the outrageously funny debut novel about three super rich, petty greed Chinese families and the gossip, backbiting, and scheming. 
that occurs when the heir to one of the most massive fortunes in Asia brings home his ABC, American-born Chinese, girlfriend to the wedding of the season. So there's lots of cool actors in this, including quite a bunch of Australian actors. So I'm keen to check out the movie and hopefully it lives up to the hype. So, of course, when there is a movie tie-in, the book comes out again. So if you missed Mm. it the first time round, there's a new edition of the book. So we have three copies of Crazy Rich Asians to give away. All you need to do is go to writercentre.com.au slash win and follow the instructions. So make sure you go to writercentre.com.au slash win to win one of your copies of Crazy Rich Asians. All right, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? <laughs> Can I have a beer with it? Or <laughs> uh, you could. In some Might countries, you could not. <laughs> well, because the word of the week is licit. That's L-I-C-I-T, licit. Do you know what that means? Do you know, I probably do, but I'm going to let you tell us because I know how much of a kick you get out of telling us. (laughs) Well, we're all very familiar with the word illicit, illicit Hmm. drugs, illicit gambling, illicit whatever, and that means illegal. So really it should be no no surprise that licit means lawful, so it is legal. It's just that it's not used very much. We use illicit way more than we use licit. Maybe because there's more illicit things going on than licit things. I don't know. I don't know either. They talk about illicit pleasures, don't they? But they don't talk about licit ones. No, that's right. Lawful lawful pleasures are not as much fun. Is that is that the message we're getting here, Val? I don't. don't, There wasn't a subtext, Al. There wasn't a subtext. So instead, what we'll do is we'll move on to. <laughs> See, it's all well and good when you bring up the word of the week, but as soon as I start asking questions, we're moving on, aren't we? Mm. No. Okay. No. Mm. We're moving anyway. on to our writer in residence this week, and that's Penelope Janu. Now, we're so excited for Penelope because she, her second novel has come out, and that's called On the Right Track. And. Not only has her second novel come out, because her first novel was Into the Deep In at the Deep End, and we um, interviewed her quite a while back, several episodes, many episodes ago. Not only has her second um, novel come out, she has now planned her next lot of novels. Like she has, she is on her way. She has carved out her career as a as an author because she is formerly a lawyer. And um, I think one of the coolest things about Penelope's story is that her daughter, Tamsin Janu, who is now also a children's author and who has won multiple awards for her Figgy series, uh, she actually did a course at the Australian Writers' Centre. On the second day of her course, she came up with the idea of what became her first book. She completed the course, went on to publish books, told her mum, Penelope Janu, hey, you got to go do this course. Her mum goes and does the course and is now obviously released her second novel and is um, has many more to come. So let's have a chat to Penelope about her book and her writing journey. So Penelope, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now congratulations on your new book, On the Right Track. Now if there are some readers who haven't heard about what this story is about. Can you just give us a brief rundown? 
Yes. Uh, well, On the Right Track is a story about a woman who has sustained a life-changing injury as a teenager. Uh, she's forced to reassess what she can do with her life. Um, it's about her connection to her late grandfather and her home. Uh, the plot revolves around the horse racing industry and money laundering. Um, she's a speech therapist, so there are quite a few communication issues in there. And it's a romance, so she falls in love. Um, so, yeah, kind of adventure, romance, um, lots going on. Do you <laughs> I like it. Experience? I like it. Plot. Yes, there is a lot going on. Do you have a lot of experience in the world of racing and horse racing? <laughs> Look, not to, I grew up on a pony more or less. That's what I did really for the first um, couple of decades of my life. So um, that aspect of um, the horses certainly I'm familiar with, um, but not so much the industry itself except that I guess I've always been aware of, you know, there's sort of two sides to the industry and you sort of see the, the millinery and the champagne is one side. Mm. Um, but there's so many people and that's within the racing industry too, of course. It's all about the horses. It's just a love of horses and so then you know, come across that, of course, in trainers and jockeys and so many others in the industry, um, the stable hands, the strappers. Um, they're interested in the horses themselves and I guess if I come at from that point of view, I have a, a very dear friend we used to ride together who's a um, ex policewoman and she um, was in the mounted branch. I mean, she, you know, trains ex race horses for dressage and, and so on. So, certainly the horse aspect, but the, the kind of the international law and the money laundering, and that I suppose mm. comes from my background as a lawyer. Um, so, that's in there as well. Okay, so now we've had you on the podcast before when you released your first book and uh, that happened after you, because you're one of our graduates and we're, we're super, super, super proud of you and you are kicking it. So that's what I want to actually talk about because you've gone past, some people just write one novel and they've got it out of their system and and and, and that's great. But you have not only written your first novel, you then ploughed ahead and you've basically carved out a career. This is your new career. This is your second novel, but there's more in the pipeline, I know. So tell us, what did you have a strategy or did you have some plans to when you decided, you know, I'm, this is going to be my career now. Um, mm. What did you put in place? Well, but, uh, well, I think with writing, it's really difficult because I think just with most writers, whatever, whether you write fiction or non-fiction or short stories or whatever your aspirations are, you don't actually know necessarily that you can be successful at it, that you might be published um, until you actually, you really have to put yourself out there. You have to do so much work in anticipation of getting published um, often. And so it's it sort of, it's starting in that um way writing for me it was writing creatively and I worked you know really hard for a couple of years just on my craft before um, I was even confident really in showing anybody my work um, and look I was I was lucky because I was picked up um, to be published within a few years of starting to write creatively which was fantastic but I guess because I've had a career and I've always really worked um, full-time uh, yeah, I sort of do really see it as a career, and that does mean that you really have to work at it. The writing I yeah. love, but there are other sides to the industry, like you know the social media, and you know after you know twenty years of telling my children, don't you go on Facebook? 
oh, you know, watching what they're doing and then suddenly, you know, you, you have to embrace that certain aspect of marketing and so on. And so that was something that was a bit out of my comfort zone and just putting yourself out there was uncomfortable. Um, but, yeah, I do treat it like a career because I love to do it, but I think you have to look at all different aspects of writing or most, most people as writers do. So what um, proportion of your week, when you are writing a book, what proportion of your week is taken up with writing? Oh, I write every day, much to my family's um, consternation sometimes because these characters are in my head whether, I am, whether I'm actually writing or not. So for me, I like to write every day. I mean, some days I'll write for sort of eight or nine hours perhaps. Um, other days it might be for an hour or two or I'll get up at five in the morning and I'll do a couple of hours and then, you know, if I have other things on during the day. Um, so I do write every day. That suits yes. me. Um, and and, so, it, and it is a discipline. Yeah. So do you, do you try to achieve a particular, with this book, mm. a couple of things. Did you try to achieve a particular word count because you had a deadline or, or, or even if it was a loose deadline, agreed with your publisher. Mm-hmm. And did you plot out this story beforehand or did you just kind of go, oh, this is how I'm going to start it and we'll see what happens? Yeah. Um, well, I had, um, because I'm signed with um, Harlequin Mirrors or HarperCollins, um, yeah, mm-hmm. so I, the first book in at the deep end um, was published at the beginning of 2017 and I knew that they would, subject to them liking it, take another book. So really... All through um, 2017, I really I wrote on the right track, and I kind of had a deadline. I wanted to get to the publisher by November, so I guess it was you know 11 months in the writing, and so then in that way it was good. It was a loose deadline, but it was certainly a deadline. I wanted to get that, and it's about 95, 96,000 words. I wanted to get it done by then. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that that was good for me in a way because it really does force you to write. Uh, I'm not a particularly fast writer and so I think that's why it takes me a long time (laughs) to write every day Um, and I'm not much of a plotter and I know some people are plotters and some people aren't Um, I'm an organic writer I think that's the new way of saying you write by the seat of your pants Um, I knew something about the outline of what I was writing but a lot of things happen actually as I'm writing but I'm kind of a neat writer so I, I write a chapter and then I might spend another four or five days going over that chapter and as I'm going over that chapter and re and editing, I'm really thinking about what's going to happen in the next chapter. Yeah. So to that extent I probably plot I'm not someone who sits down as you know, my daughter Tamson is a is a middle grade children's writer. Um mm. she's amazing. We go away on holidays and she sits down and, and she <laughs> yeah, writes you know, it starts in sort of the first chapter and writes all the way through. So she does 20,000 words all in a row and then she goes back and does her edit. So I've seen how that works and, mm. um, but yeah, that, that's not me. I'm a bit slower than that. So yeah, your, your daughter is Tamsin Janu and, um, she, after she did a course at the Australian Writers Centre, that, that seed of an idea that she started that weekend turned into her first book. And not only has she written several books since she's won all these awards and, you know, she's obviously going really well. Do you compare notes or do you ever decide to, you know, like co-work together and, and, and write in the, at the same time or anything like that? Yeah, no, look, well, in my um, acknowledgements in On the Right Track, actually, I, I think I, I, mean, I thanked all the children because they're all really supportable, my kids. I've got six of them. <laughs> but um, with Tamsin, I said, well, thank you for sharing my writer angst. 
And I think that's what we do. <laughs> we share writer angst uh, because it's, you know, it is, it is hard if things aren't going that well. And I think as another writer, that's what we really understand with each other's work. Um, Tamsin is great. She lets me read her sort of first draft. She doesn't share her work really with anyone before it goes to the publisher, um, except mm-hmm. I get to, to read it a little bit, which is good. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly with my kids, I suppose I might ask some questions and, and Tam will have a look at what I've written. Um, but I really think that's, and that's, I suppose that's with, it's fantastic doing a course, whether you meet a few people. Um, it's the right angst, and I think writers understand each other's angst. <laughs> no matter what you write, there is yeah. that insecurity of putting yourself out there, um, which a lot of us just, you know, it, it is something difficult to do, and especially because there are many talented writers out there and you spend a long time writing. It doesn't mean that you'll be published, and that's not because you're not talented, it's just that perhaps, you know, that's not the right time for your work, perhaps. And so, but it's easy to become mm. discouraged, obviously. But despite that, despite that, and despite the angst that can come mm. with writing, how does this career compare with your career as a lawyer? Is it something that you enjoy more or the same? It's just different, you know. How do you feel about this career compared to how you felt about your career as a lawyer? Yeah, uh, look, I yeah, I love writing. I mean, there's a real joy in writing, you know, when you're in the middle of a scene or you know it's going well or just the fact of those characters being in your head, that's really, really special. Yeah, and I feel, I mean, I suppose I, my legal career and I worked as an academic for many years because I had the children and so that was always a juggle. You were juggling, you know, family and work and house and mortgages and all sorts of things. Um, that was really that time in my life and... For me, though, now it's a real freedom to have to be able to write because it does take a long time. And I think I might have started late because for me, I think it would have been really hard to juggle writing um, mm. with having all those other things in my life. Uh, so now yeah, it's easier to manage, I suppose, because I have less immediate commitment. Yeah. And so for this book, what kind of research did you have to do into the world of money laundering and all oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the trouble. I know so much about money laundering, but of course that doesn't, people don't want to read it. Understandably, it's all boring and dry stuff, a lot of it. Um, <laughs> my hero, um, Tora Munson is a, um, yeah, a UN diplomat and he works for a UN committee and, you know, they sort of carry out investigations into money laundering. Um, and it, look, and the money laundering is particularly attached to the horse racing industry at all. Of course, it goes on in all different ways. But yeah. the reason he, yeah, it's sort of the trigger, I suppose, that he's looking into um, heroin golden past and, and some connections that her family had, and this is going back, you know, 10 or 15 years with her family, um, to um, a certain investment that was made. Uh, so, yes, you, I had some legal background in it, but that doesn't really um, transfer to the book. It's a matter of doing an awful lot of research and then taking out the bits that are necessary to tell the story, keeping in those bits. Um, so mm. it, it all hangs together, yet, you know, the driver of the story is really the story of Gold and her connection to her home and her community and also obviously her relationships with her friends and family and ultimately um, to the hero as well. Where do these characters come from? You say you live with these characters in your head and your family kind of has to live with them as well. How do they yeah. form in your head? Like, how are they birthed? Uh, well, I think I have a general idea. As soon as I start writing and I 
seem to get a voice. And I have, I mean, I've written three kind of full length novels now. And each of my characters um, have a certain voice. And I guess that really helps, even just in the first chapter. And maybe that's why I take a long time over my first chapters, just really establishing the voice of the character. Once I have that, I know that, you know, there's certain, you know, there might be difficulties in the character's background or just the way, like we all do as individuals, approach things differently. So um, my character Golden has had a really difficult um, upbringing and so that obviously reflects itself in the way she thinks about things and the way she thinks about people, whether she's distrustful, the way she might approach certain situations. Um, my heroine in the last book, you know, Deep End, um, was probably essentially a more optimistic sort of out there character and that was you know sort of then that carries on into the story and I suppose that's that's the issue with how I write as well because how would a character faced with a certain situation um, respond to that I guess and how the character grows over time as well. Mm. So now that you are well these characters are on the page now they're out there what are you working on now? Uh, I'm hoping uh, next year to have another um, Harlequin Mira um, title out, and that's another one um, that probably be set in the um, in New South Wales in a country area. Um, and I have a heroine with a really interesting career, which I don't even want to say anything about because I think that is such a good idea. Why hasn't anyone written that yet? Okay. <laughs> so that will be, be my project for next year. But another look, I I love writing heroines, and I miss I mean, I suppose I have four daughters in their twenties at this moment. But and mm. being an academic, I, the women I teach are in their twenties. I love that kind of late twenties age group. I think they're independent and thoughtful and smart you know they really dig deep to resolve issues at that age um, they don't rely on the hero to do that um, yeah they yeah I just like that age group and I really like the way they approach things so certainly it, um, the character I have in mind is, is someone else um, in that age group but it's also how those characters obviously relate to their friends and their family and the people in their life. That's an interesting point you're you're drawn to writing that age group Women in mm. young women in their twenties. What do you do to get into that mindset? And I mean, obviously, we were all in our you know twenties once, so mm. that's kind of obvious. We have that lived experience. But in terms of what people, but society does change, and in terms of what um, people in that at that age group are into now, or or how they interact, how they communicate, do you have to do anything to to make sure you're up to date in a sense? Um, yes. Well, and, I, and I wonder whether it's because I started writing later. I mean, at my age, my 50s, I should be writing about heartache and divorce and all sorts of terrible <laughs> things. But I think maybe I have to wait till I'm in my 80s and then I'll be writing about women <laughs> in their 50s. Look, um, well, to an extent, yes and no. Look, I think if it's something to do with tattoos or ear piercings or social media or something, I'll make sure I check, you know, to say, is this right and yeah. does this work? Yes, and that's sort of easy fact-checking stuff. But I think essentially, I mean, you think about, not that I compare myself at all to Jane Austen, but I mean, people, you know, women from the, you know, written in the 17 and the 1800s, you know, they're certain characters and they're optimistic or they're this or they're that, and I don't think that changes in many ways. It's human personalities and character. And so then I think yeah. if you can tap into a character that you're writing and they have certain qualities, um, that's it's kind of timeless, I think, and um, and sort of romance and relationships and relationships with your children and with your family, your your parents. Um, 
Yeah, that's timeless to an extent as well. So, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm careful, I think, because I wouldn't want to, it's, it's sort of not me, I suppose, and that's where people in my, you know, even sex scenes in a romance novel and they say, oh, oh, oh wink, wink, nod, nod, and I think that's got nothing to do with me. That's my character, and it really is like yeah. that. I think if I write a character who's in their 20s, I think, yeah, well, you know, I don't know. I have my various responses to people who say things like that like look she's 30 years old didn't you have sex when you were 30 and so on do um, people say things character. to you do, do people you know make comments about such things to you oh yes look and that's the and I think and that's the sort of right it's easy look and I might you know commercial fiction women's fiction yes it has romance I love an uplifting ending I love the fact that my women in my novels they're prepared to fall in love but they're not willing to settle for a man who's not worthy of them um and they don't rely on the hero to fix their problems um but that's to me it's sort of uplifting it's what a romance is all about um and I enjoy writing that and part of that dynamic and for me you know yes I write love scenes it's you know just as appropriate not at all erotic or anything although you know there's obviously a market in that too um but that intimacy between characters is a really important element of the relationship and often it's a way to show how the relationship develops, I guess, um, yeah. through writing that. And that's an essential part in many ways of romance. And that it doesn't mean that it's um, uh, having sex. It, it can be at the brush of a hand. As we all know, you know, if it's somebody that you first know and it's exciting just when your arm, you know, touches theirs when you're at the movies. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think that really important to what I write and that's an important way to show how the characters are relating to each other and how there might be some deep meaning um, in the way they relate to each other even though they might have to um, wait for 80 or 90,000 words for, for that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so, do, you, do you read in your genre or what do you read? What do you enjoy reading? Oh, I read all sorts of things. I don't, I'm really, I can't wear, I um, yeah, look, I read the off the odd crime novel, I guess, um, mm-hmm. but I enjoy reading romance. I love reading historical romance. To me, that's a wonderful escape. So I read lots of regencies and things. Um, I think the um, sort of rural and I yeah, this the book writing next year and this one too has an element of sort of rural romance in it as well. Um, Trisha Stringer writes wonderful, you know, rural romance, but she writes commercial fiction. I mean, there's so many people who are. Um, not pigeonholed, but they might be categorised as certain sort of writer. Rachel Johns is another one that, you know, write in all different sorts of genres. So I write a lot of, I read a lot of um, commercial fiction. Um, and, uh, yeah, sort of romantic comedy. If it used to be called chiclet, I hate the expression chiclet because I think chick, I mean, I've never described myself as a chick or anybody else. <laughs> but yeah, the romantic comedy, but I think in some ways that can often be just the voice if it's a lighter, brighter voice. Um, yeah. In a novel, um, it might be categorised as romantic comedy, but with a romantic comedy, you often have just as many, you know, challenges and um, yeah, issues that are discussed. Actually, even more so, whether it's Bridget Jones or um, Sophie Kinsella's work. Um, you are talking about women sort of moving on and um, taking charge of their lives or changing their lives. It's just done in a certain way where it might be categorised as romantic comedy, mm. um, but it really is, is, is a story that can relate to many people. Now, apart from writing, as you say, there's other aspects 
now that this is you know your your career there's the marketing and the social media and stuff like that and um you know there are also also author talks <clears throat> is that something that you enjoy for example the author talks yeah i i haven't done a lot of that it's really um now this is my second novel and it's been really nice with my first one it was i used to just sort of sidle into bookshops and sort of say hello <laughs> i've written a book <laughs> Um, whereas it's nice now because I know certain people have enjoyed my first novel and so I've got mm. feedback. So I've got a little bit braver um, thinking, look, it's really nice to see some people are engaging with and enjoying what you're writing. Um, so I'm much more confident. I mean, you know, I sort of go to the local library. So I'm doing, you know, doing a talk at my local library in Mossman at the end of um, September. And mm. then the library invites people to come along. And I love to sort of talk to talk about writing and the writing journey and, and readers are, are often, they're fantastic, you know, whether they're obviously all writers and readers as well, but um, it's just really nice. You get emails and you get, you know, messages and people um, speak to you in author events and, and say how much they've enjoyed your work and that's such a lovely part of um, being a writer, really is. Yeah, the feedback. Yes, yeah, very much yeah. so. I think yeah. it's not, because it's not, Really, I mean, I suppose, you know, you obviously want to, you know, certain people, and amount of people to buy your books, but for me, that's more about I want to continue to be published. <laughs> so, I, you know, so <laughs> yes. you want people to read your books, but whether it's, but really the people you have contact with, whether it's 10 or 20 or 50 people, um, mm. it's just really nice that they, um, they engage with your work and they read your work. Um, I'm forever telling people, I'll oh, go to the library. Oh, you know, you can, any, any book can be ordered in the library and that's good for writers as well. I mean, that, um, so it's not that you have to always buy the book. Um, you can borrow it and read it, enjoy it, recommend it to your friends or buy it as a gift or something. Um, so yeah, but I don't, I don't know that I'll be a, um, I don't know that I'm a great marketer. <laughs> I love to read. I love to write. <laughs> I have no doubt that uh, you will be published again and we'll be having another conversation next year. Um, but let's wrap up then on what would be your top three tips for um, aspiring writers who want to be in a position like you are one day? Oh, um, yeah. Well, finish the book. If you're writing a book, if you're a novelist or whether it's yeah. an article, whatever I think you just got to get it down there and that might take a year or two years or it might take a few months but once you've finished it you've got something to work on because it's um mm. but you just have to get it done and that's really important and it's really difficult but that's a really important first thing I suppose for me that means write a little bit every day even if it's you know whether it's you know only a paragraph or anything for me keeping the characters in the in your head yeah. um the voice i think the voice everybody has their own voice and i i sort of work with a few aspiring writers and and that's something that nobody else has it's absolutely unique mm. to that writer so even though they might say oh, i've got a lot to learn and then obviously there are courses you can do at the writer's center or whatever and that helps you to learn your craft so you're better at putting the words on the page you're better at perhaps um, communicating what you want to say but your voice is your own and that is your voice and so have trust in that have faith in that and all you really need to do is need a, a, a publisher who recognizes that or they really like it and then hopefully it will be will be picked up and it will be published. Um, but, but it is your voice and it is unique and it's something really special and really unique. You know, like whether you're 
an artist or any any sort of person or an actor or whatever else you might be, it's, it's kind of a different thing, that voice. Mm. But, um, yep, that's important. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. why do I – I mean, I suppose – and being critical, I guess, with when you finish writing your first draft, then to go back and, it, and to look at it again, yeah. have a break from it, um, that's really important too. And also to engage with others in your writing or yes. reading community. And that's something um, social media or doing online courses, and, and that's really important, I think, because it does validate what we're doing and it's a, it sort of keeps you company. Otherwise, you know, writing can be a, a lonely pursuit. Um, and mm. something that only, I mean, writers understand other writers, and I don't mean yes. necessarily published writers, but people who are aspiring to write. And much as we love our friends and family and things, they, it's hard for them to understand what we do, um, in that way. So it's really, really nice if you can find, you know, a group of other writers, um, or do a course, you automatically then will find other writers, um, that you Great. can uh, speak to, relate to. For sure. Find your tribe. Awesome. All right. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Penelope. Oh, thank you, Valerie. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There you go, Penelope Janu, and we uh, send our best wishes and congratulations to Penelope because it's so awesome to see Australian Writers' Centre graduates do so well. Mm. Now, you're going to Brisbane. Are you going to get some craft beer in Brisbane? Do you think you'll have some time? I'd say so. Do you want me to take some pictures if I do? Yeah, go on. Shall I get? Put do you know what I am? Do, do you know what I am doing? I'm so excited. I have to say this. Um, so, as you know, I have the Facebook group Your Kids Next Read, which is a yes. fantastic group. With, I think group. four and a half thousand members, yeah. people sharing recommendations, and you know all yeah. of those sorts of things. Now, I run that group with so the, my my co admin on the group is Megan Daly, who is yeah. the um, fantastic teacher librarian behind the website Children's Books Daily. Com, um, which is an amazing site. She does a whole bunch of reviews. She's just an incredible force of nature that has to do with, you know, that is just all about promoting the children's book industry in Australia. So I co-admin with her and um, the one of the – well, our other third person, the moderator on the group, is Alison Rushby, who is a yes. longtime author friend of mine, um, of course, writes for children, has written for adults, is, is you know, all of the things in all of the places. Yes. Well, we are getting together because they are both from Brisbane. <sighs> So oh, we awesome. are getting together while I'm up there and we're going to have some dinner and some drinks and just get together. And we haven't been together for – well, we've never been together as a trio um, and definitely not since we started the um, started the group. And I haven't mm-hmm. seen Megan for a long time. So I am very, very excited and I suspect – 
that there may be craft beers involved in that. Well, for uh, me, awesome. They, they, I suspect, may be wine drinkers now that I think about mm. it. Bubbles. We might actually just go straight to the champagne because it was going to be very exciting. So Ooh. as well as doing my sessions and meeting all the people and talking to all the kids and doing all that stuff, I'm hanging out with my mates, which is pretty much, you know, the icing on the cake. Love it, love it. And also join the group. If you're interested in children's yes. uh, in children's books, writing them, reading them, you've got kids, whatever, yep. join the group, Your Kids Next Read on Facebook. I would love to see you there and I'll put the um, link in the show notes for you. And I think what's really good about it is the thing is if you have a local bookshop and you ask their advice on what to buy your kid, like that's great. They are often extremely knowledgeable, especially Absolutely. if they're into kids' books, but you're, always, you're only getting one person's point of view. So I think that and and th- they are I, I know some bookshop sellers and they have a very specific um, kind of taste with children's books. So I think what can be useful is to join a group like this if you have kids or if you're buying books for kids uh, to get you know a much broader perspective and you'll discover books that your kid would never have discovered otherwise than if you just rely on the local bookshop and your local library. Absolutely and not only that if you are a writer of books for children an author of books for children join the group to see a what people are asking for and b what books they're recommending because it helps to give you an idea of how the markets work like it's honestly the best snapshot of the market here and overseas because we have a a really nice Mm. contingent of us members we have a really nice contingent of canadian members and it's just look i find it incredibly invaluable just just Mm. to see who's talking about what like it's a really interesting insight into you know what people are looking for what they're buying what they're and what they're recommending and what they're recommending is not necessarily the usual suspects and i think that that is is where it's truly truly invaluable it's really good yeah so just search for your kids next read on facebook to join the group or I put the um, link the, in the show notes. And put the link in the show notes, yes. Um, the other group that you should join, which you're probably am already a member of, is, of course, the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there. I love this group. I love all of our listeners who are in the group and all of our listeners who are not in the group. But, hey, come on over and join the party. Mm. All right, where do we find you online now? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and, of course, in the Facebook group. So we'd love to connect with you there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.